going to keep sharing with you some thoughts about how we use our mouth so that we can watch our mouth in a better way and use it <clears throat> for really glorious purposes. Today is a day that the Jews who were in Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover, they were in for the week to celebrate the feast, and they used their mouth for the best possible purpose, and that was to bless the Lord. They cried out, Hosanna, which the word that the Lord just brought through Gigi, they were literally crying out for the lifeguard, save us. That was what they were using their mouth to do. But they also said, they also said blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So we're going to, I feel like God wants to use our mouths to prophesy and to speak some things. And that, that we've got to catch up with the season that we're in right now. So the Lord, the Lord had me this morning as we were praying in the Song of Solomon. I just want to do this. This is kind of, well, I'm going to release it because I'm going to do what I'm saying we should be doing here. And in the Song of Solomon, in chapter 2, it's a famous passage, but it says this, that it says, Listen, my beloved, behold, he's coming, climbing on the mountains, leaping on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. He's standing behind a wall. He's looking through the windows. He is peering through the lattice. My beloved responded and said to me, get up, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. Come with me. Do you hear the Lord saying that to you? Get up and come with me. That's the call on our lives. That is the day-by-day call as we awaken with the dawn, or whenever it is that you wake up. Well, as we awaken, hear the Lord saying, wake up, come with me. I've got some things in store for you that if I told you, you wouldn't even believe it. I've got things lined up for you that have already begun to spring up that you wouldn't even be able to understand it if you could see it. There are things that God has already begun to do that are under the ground. This is the season for it. We're starting to see some things sprout up out of the ground. We're starting to see some buds come out on the tips of trees. It's the first fruits of spring. And literally, we are physically in a place in the natural, but I'm seeing the Lord doing it in the spirit. I just got to say this. I know the smuckers are probably exhausted from being overwhelmed this weekend. But, you know, yesterday was their grand opening. The day before their grand opening, the parking lot was full all day. And yesterday it was full all day. And we're coming into the season of first fruits, the, the feast of first fruits, which leads into the season of Pentecost in the, in the whole God cycle of things. And they are the first fruits of the kind of business we're going to have in this valley. A business that's not just by lip service dedicated to the Lord, but they, they put it all. I mean, when you walk up there, what does it say in the concrete again? I forget. I, I looked at it and I was impressed. Somebody remembered. Jesus wins. You step over that. Everybody who steps into that place is stepping over it, etched into the concrete. Jesus wins. The atmosphere in that place, the things they grow, where those things that they grow get planted, it's all going to be under the influence of the Spirit of God. And we pray that'll be the first fruits of the kind of business that God's going to establish in this valley. So that wasn't a commercial for the smuckers. That was a commercial for Jesus because he's doing things here and now we're starting to see with the eye the things that we've been praying into and the things that have already been growing beneath the soil you know when something springs up from the ground you didn't plant it yesterday it's been working under the soil growing its root system to carry whatever is going to grow above the ground there's been something going on below the scenes or behind the scenes and below the ground for a long time and now it's beginning to spring up and that's why the Lord goes on and He says, Behold, the winter is past. The rain's over and gone. Shift the season. Shift with me. Many of us have been in a season that would only be described as a spiritual winter. Things were kind of shut down, sometimes literally. Many of us have experienced this like weight of just stay down, stay home, stay under things. And I'm not talking about lockdowns. I'm talking about in our soul that there's been this feeling of even sometimes outright depression. That's the work of the kingdom of darkness, and no matter what's going on, that's what's been happening. It's like winter. But in winter, God's doing things below the soil. In winter, God's at work. All of nature's at work. Just can't see it with the eye. But now is when we get to see what those trees and bushes and everything that grows has been doing below the soil all winter long. But sometimes we have a hard time adjusting to the seasons of the Spirit, don't we? I mean, it really is a lot like winter into spring because depending where you look right now there's evidence of spring some trees have begun to bud some have even begun to flower some flowers begin to come up from the ground other things still look dead like it's still winter some trees haven't caught up yet 
Some trees are a little bit slower to catch on to. It's spring now. It's okay to bud again. It's, it's safe to come out. And some of us also, we've got to be aware of the seasons of the Spirit and not judge what God's doing right now by what's happened in the past, by what the season has been so far. When the Lord does a new thing, as Patty prophesied earlier, we've got to perceive it. Can you not perceive it, the Lord says. I'm doing a new thing. So looking with spiritual eyes. The flowers have already appeared in the land. The time has arrived for pruning the vines. And the voice of the dove has been heard in our land. And the fig tree has ripened its figs. The vines in blossom, giving forth their fragrance. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come along with me. When it says the figs have ripened, Figs have always represented God's people. It was Israel, and now it's God's Israel. It's Israel of every covenant. All of God's people have always been represented by the fig tree. And that's why if you read, and I encourage you to do this this week, for a Bible study, if you, when you get around reading with your family, my family's going to take a break. We're reading through the life of David right now. And this week, I encourage you to read about the events of Jesus last week in Jerusalem. I believe God's going to open us up to some revelation. I'm not going to preach it from here, but it's already there. Matthew saw it and recorded it for us. Matthew 21 through 28 makes a great week-long reading. 21 is the, today the triumphal entry, the Palm Sundays we now call it. And then all through the week, all of what happened when Jesus came to his own and he met with Israel in Jerusalem. This was like a meet with the Messiah seminar week. It didn't go over so well, but you already know the end of the story, so that's not a spoiler alert for you. But as you read through that, I want to encourage you to see that, that the fig, it says, has already begun to blossom. It's already begun to bear its fruit. We are bearing fruit. You are bearing fruit in your life right now. But some of us need spiritual eyes to perceive it because it's not as evident. It's very obvious at Smucker Gardens that God has brought them into a fruitful season right now. Some of us, I want to encourage you, you're bearing fruit. It just hasn't yet come out on the branch. So... There, I just blessed you. I just did what I'm going to preach about today. Because blessing is the use of our mouth to say things that don't exist yet as if they're already there. How many of you know that takes spiritual eyes? You don't need to be a prophet to talk about what's wrong. You just don't. You can get a job at any news station and talk all day about what's wrong. What is not yet. You don't need to be a prophet to see that. You don't need to have spiritual ears or spiritual eyes to talk about where the problems are. But it does, the world does require a people of faith, a people who can see beyond current circumstance to see what God is doing. What's God up to in the earth? You guys with me? You awake? It's, we need spiritual eyes. It's time for us to just awaken with our beloved, as we just read, and see what's actually going on. Because otherwise we use our mouth to partner with the lie of the enemy, which basically says, just stay in that grave. You ain't getting out of that thing. Just stay put where you are. Don't step out. Let that dream die. Let that thing turn to ashes and dust. And just go on and, and just get by. Just, just try to find some way to get by the day, you know. And, and the answer will always be, how you doing? Eh, I'm all right, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm hanging on and all of that. There are seasons where that's the case, but that's not our life. And I'm telling you right now, that is not the season of the Spirit that we're in. Individually, we're all in different places. But I'm telling you corporately, I'm telling you body of Christ, and I am speaking more universally around the world right now. Body of Christ is coming into the most fruitful season we've seen in 2,000 years of history. I'm telling you, if you haven't done it yet, start tuning into some other sources of information. Because God's doing amazing things in the earth right now. This is not a good time to be speaking as if it's still winter when spring is beginning to spring up. Our mouth is a powerful thing. So to continue on with what we're looking at here, our mouth, uh, misuse of our mouth. Our mouth is the most powerful weapon in all of creation. It's the, most, it's the thing that makes us the most like God of all the parts of our body and all the things that we can do, even including our heart. Yeah, we know it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks, but it's what gets proclaimed out of these mouths, out of our lips. That's what carries power in it. As God's mouth carried the power to create everything out of nothing, our mouth has the power to create things. Our mouth has the power to create the world that we will live in, the environment we will surround ourselves with, and our mouth, yes, has the authority because of Christ in us to speak things into the world around us that aren't yet quite lined up with heaven. 
So misuse of our mouth comes in two basic forms within these. There's all kinds of things that we'll look at in the weeks ahead. One form is speaking when we should remain silent. The other one is remaining silent when we should be speaking. Those are the two ways, overall, big picture, that we can misuse our mouth. Speaking when we should be quiet and remaining quiet when we should be speaking. There's a proper place, and, and Ecclesiastes say there's a time to, time to speak and there's a time to be quiet. And so let's take a look at one of the times that we ought to be speaking. In fact, I want to suggest that we get on track and train our mouth for the primary purpose of what our mouth was made for. And David said it in Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will, as often as I can, it'll be in my mouth. His praise, when things are going really well and I got something to thank Him for, will be in my mouth. His praise, when I'm feeling it, when I'm excited and I don't have to pretend like I'm excited about God, then His praise will be in my mouth. Thank you. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So you know where that means it's got to be first, right? It's got to be in the heart first. That's why when we set our mind on things above and we intentionally say, I am not going to fill my mind, I will not allow then my mind to fill my heart, which will fill my soul with things that did not originate in heavenly places. I'm not interested in this earth's song. I'm not interested in the song of the world. I want to know what those angels are singing around the throne. Because when I'm tuned into that, there's something that fills my heart now. And when I open up my lips, my mouth shows forth as praise. There's so much power in using our mouth in that way. Wherever we go, the simplest, I mean, 30-second conversation Right on out to times we get to preach and lead people right into the kingdom of heaven. All of it begins with what we fill our hearts with. So I'll bless the Lord all the time. I'm going to bless him so often people go get tired of hearing it. How, you know a good heart check? You know how to know when we've allowed sorrow or grief or anger or bitterness or whatever things come from that other kingdom when we know that it's really taken hold in our heart is when we hear people praising God and it makes us angry that's a sign of a heart that's really getting hardened toward the Lord I mean there are people in the world you start talking about Jesus and you get demon to manifest by just saying the name Jesus around some people like dude you got issues and I might not just be talking to you you know there might be a whole bunch of you that I'm communicating with right now but for us if the sound of praise has anything of a negative effect on our heart if hearing somebody magnify the lord and glorify the lord with the word of their mouth frustrates us in any way i want to encourage you and really look to your heart look to what is going on in there right now what got sowed into my heart right now that's making me not enjoy the thing that my being was made for to live for the praise of his glory and so my soul will make its boast in the Lord, he goes on to say. The humble will hear it and rejoice. And so here comes an exhortation. Magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. Do you know, the, do you know how you know that your mouth is ready to go out and praise him on the streets? As when you can praise him looking in the face of saints of God. If we're embarrassed to share about how awesome Jesus is with one another then how is it going to be when we get out there and we're sharing at a people that are angry when they hear the name Jesus? That's why I encourage us, listen to the words of the songs we're singing. And when we're singing a song that we're not singing it directly to God, but it's like a one another song, open your eyes and look around the room. <laughs> Sometimes your faces just crack me up and I wish I could just take a quick snapshot at the stunned deer in the headlight silence. Open my eyes during worship. Some of you have been around long enough, you've experienced it, and isn't it an amazing experience? We used to sing this song in uh, Boston. I don't remember if it was a song of the Lord or if it was uh, something that went around, but it was out of this verse. Magnify the Lord with me. You ever hear that one? Let us exalt his name together. You ever hear that? You just did. You did. Lisa Duck, oh, I can always tell with Lisa whether it was a Karen Capuccio song of the Lord or whether we were singing it in all the Pentecostal churches in the, in the 80s and whatnot. Yeah, so that was 60s. Oh, so that's older than I was saved. Much older than I was saved. 
a little bit older than I was alive, but that's another matter <laughs> entirely. We sing that, but you know, if you close your eyes, magnify the Lord with me. What am I singing to? Maybe, maybe I'm talking to the me, myself, and I. Sometimes you got to talk to your soul, right? We know that. There's a good time to talk to yourself when your soul's downcast. Then, then be like David. Why are you downcast, soul? What you doing? This in us. What was Christ in you? Remember that Christ in you. Why are you down? You don't have to look down at yourself when you talk to your soul. By the way, you can just. Sometimes we do have to do that, but. When we're singing like that, this is what I believe Hebrews means when it says, and let us exhort one another daily and so much more as we see the day approaching. What are we exhorting about? Hey, don't forget the Lord in this. Don't forget who stands with you in that fire. Don't forget the fourth man in the fire. Don't forget the one who parts the seas. Don't forget the one who makes beauty from ashes. Don't forget the one who turns seas into highways. Don't forget the one who turns graves into gardens. I mean, we sang it. That's how we exhort one another. We use our mouth to bless the Lord at all times. When His name is blessed and it gets larger, He gets larger than life in our minds and in our hearts. He can't get any bigger. That's the difference between when we bless one another, we actually are adding something to the one we're blessing. When we bless the Lord, we're just confirming here in this world who He already is. We're bringing His presence and who He is as He manifests Himself. You know, all those covenant names of God. You, want, you need Jehovah Jireh. Bless Jehovah Jireh, the one who sees and therefore provides. And now all of a sudden, He manifests as Jehovah Jireh. Now you've invited that. You bless the Lord and it's like right back at you. And we get to experience it here in the world. We open the gates of heaven. I'm getting ahead of myself here. We open up the gates here in the earth so that heaven can come in. Using our mouth to bless God, to bless the Lord, is training it back to its proper use. Using our mouth to bless God trains us back to the proper use of our mouth. So I already put the challenge out. Maybe I'll make it a little bit more realistic for the you know, baby stepping into a mouth that blesses more than complains. Every time we find ourselves complaining, I'm, putting a chal- I'm throwing down a gauntlet, and you all have permission to challenge me on this too. And my wife's here, so just don't tell the kids. No. <laughs> Every time we hear a complaint come out of our mouth, you are hereby challenged by me to ten times bless the Lord with your mouth. It's training. My swim coach was a brutal Polish man, Henry Fair. He had hair on every inch of his body. From shaving it, I thought we always thought it was from shaving it so much. I don't know if it actually works that way. He used to be a really good swimmer. And he was a water polo player who is no one to be. You don't mess with water polo players. They're crazy. Think rugby, but you can drown while you're playing. That's water polo, and he was like that. And my coach was a stickler about certain things. So if he told you, swim 100 yards, fast as you can go. If you started lagging on the fourth length of the pool, he was going to train you not to ever do that again. And so if the fourth one was that way, now you swim in a thousand, right? He was like that. It's impossible to swim a thousand yards, by the way, as fast as you could go the whole time. But Henry didn't know that. So training our mouth, I'm encouraging you to let it work the same way. Maybe you need to get like a little shock collar. Give it to your wife. <laughs> give it to your husband. Don't give it to your five-year-old. <laughs> It'd be all day. <laughs> Every time a complaint comes out of your mouth, now you got 10 blessings. That's your penance. All right, I know we don't do the whole Catholic rosary, you know, say Hail Marys and whatnot, but maybe in this case we, we do something like that. 10, bless the Lord 10 times for every complaint that comes out. If nothing else, it will tune us into how often we misuse our mouth that's made for blessing and use it for complaining instead. Do you know what a complaint is? A compl- when, we mal- when we voice a complaint, it's simply that we've recognized a problem, but we don't believe we have the authority to become the solution for that problem. That's the root of complaining. Complaining is, I feel powerless right now. Something's wrong, and I don't believe I can do anything about it. And I have no outlet for my frustration, and so it's going to spill out of my mouth in the form of complaint. That's what complaining is. What if I told you that in our mouth was the power of life and death? 
Do I have to convince you of that? What if I told you that because of Christ in us, the hope of glory, that our mouth carries the weight of authority, that even if we don't see immediate results, there is a powerful seed that just got planted by the word of our mouth. And you just give it enough time to take root and grow and bear fruit, and it's going to have everlasting implications. What if I told you that the words that we speak in this generation, even if we don't live to see the fruits of it, they will resound to the next generation? We have evidence of that here in in the founding of this country. Things spoken by the Christian founding fathers, they weren't all Christian, but the ones who honored the Lord and dedicated this nation to the Lord, we had a full century of nonstop increase of blessing and prosperity as a result. We had, we, something got built here by the words both spoken and written in the documents that we hold dear, or most of us still hold dear in this country because they use their mouth to magnify the Lord. Thank Him for His sovereign hand. Thank Him for His wisdom as we write this Constitution. Thank Him for His courage in us as we declare our independence from the greatest empire the world had ever known at the time that's the power of our mouth and what really exhort us to train our mouth back to its proper use bless the lord at all times let his praise continually be in our mouth amen blessing the power of blessing is it's how we pull something from the invisible realm into the visible realm using only our mouth which by the way is the only way it can happen you can't literally climb a stairway to heaven and pull things down into the earth It comes by the use of our mouth. It comes by making, by prayer and supplication, making our requests known. Using our mouth can take on the form of prayer. Or using our mouth can take on the form of blessing. Speaking things that we already know are on the heart of God and pronouncing them into the earth. That's how we pull that which exists in heaven into the earth. Why else do you think Jesus taught us to pray? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And actually, if you read that in the straight up original language, The way it actually reads, when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray like this. When you pray, say. Remember that? He didn't say, when you pray, think. I'm always weirded out when, and this isn't a criticism of anybody among us, okay? But I am weirded out, and it does happen with us sometimes, when we're in a public prayer meeting and everybody's quietly praying. Look, do that at home. When we're here, Give voice to what the Spirit of God's saying. And what I love about the group that gathers before service, one shares one thing and bing, it activates someone. Oh, and I saw that. And psh, before you know, it's like, like a spirit storm. We don't brainstorm, we spirit storm. And there's all this revelation that's happening as everyone shares what they're, they're seeing and what they're praying into that. But blessing, when Jesus taught, he said, when you pray, say, come, kingdom of heaven. Will of God be in the earth. That's how it actually reads. It's not a passive prayer. Uh, sometimes the way we read the Lord's Prayer and pray it, and if you like me, prayed it every Sunday growing up and I had no idea what it meant. Uh, it almost prays like, oh man, I sure hope your kingdom comes one day and I sure hope that your will comes to pass in the earth. That's not what he taught us to pray. Because little did the disciples know that two or three years later, whenever he taught them that prayer, that he was going to rise from the grave and let them know, hey, by the way, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. And then the Apostle Paul would have this revelation of, oh, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that Christ who has all authorities in you, now out of the abundance of the new heart, when your mouth speaks, what's it going to be doing in the earth? So blessing, when we actually proclaim something, when, when I do a wedding, I always try, when it's possible, and if some parents aren't into it, but to have the father and mother of both the bride and groom pronounce a blessing over the, the wife and husband who are to be. So, you know, there's that part of the wedding when you just kind of walk your daughter down the aisle who gives us one to be married to this man. I was thinking about it after I did a wedding, and I realized, you know, it's really, it's symbolic of something, but how about instead of symbolic, we actually release the power of those parents' mouths who have just spent the last 20-something years sacrificing on behalf of their children. And so I encourage the parents to prepare a blessing. And I always ask them to do it in writing because you're a blubbering mess when you just walked your baby girl down the aisle and you're not going to remember what you were going to say before that. So you write it out. Nothing wrong with writing a blessing. We've got tons of them. I'm going to share this in a couple of weeks right here in the Word of God. But you pronounce that blessing and you're now taking the authority you have as a parent and imparting something into your children that will carry for generations. Whether they receive it or not, it'll be carried for generations to come. 
So blessing can only be done by one who has the authority to confer a blessing. We have to have the authority to confer a blessing because you can't give what you don't have. So why does our mouth have authority here in the earth to bless? Because the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth He has given to the sons of men. He gave us this earth. And He said, be stewards of it. Be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over all the works of my hands. He's already given us authority in the earth. It's just that we handed the keys over to the devil in the garden. Jesus died, went into the grave and came back, said, here, I got the keys back. Now use the authority well this time. Don't forget that you have been given authority in the earth, not the devil. And I would say, sometimes we overemphasize, it's a true statement, that the earth is the Lord's and all the fullness thereof. True, I mean, it's in the Bible, right? So we know it's true. And of course, it's all His and we are stewards of it. But at the same time, God at the same time said, I've given it to you. I want you to have dominion. So if we don't exercise the authority that God's given to us, look at what the earth turns into. It's a little, I used to run a boys and girls club in South Boston and we used to have a, a gym. And the worst thing to do with a group of 80 inner city kids is to give them free gym and just let them have at it. There could be footballs flying and dodgeballs, bing, 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 and people crying and getting kicked and stomped on and trying to play. Literally one day I walked in before I did this, what I'm about to say, and, and there was a full-court basketball game going on. There was like eight on eight, I think. There was a football flying back and forth as kids were playing catch with it, and kids were playing medic, which is a dodgeball ver a game version, in the middle of a full-court basketball game. And the director of the gym, who's like five foot nothing, real sweet guy, was sitting down watching it laughing. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm going to call 911 first because somebody's dead in the middle of this pile of people. But until I said, I won't name him. I said, dude, why aren't you doing anything? Someone's going to get hurt. He said, all right, all right. I was just having some fun. He got up, blew his whistle, and instantly chaos turned into order. And he had that authority. Everybody loved him, everybody knew, that, but it was because he didn't use his authority to rein things in. Immediately things turned to chaos. That's exactly how it is in the world. The, the reason why chaos turned into order is because God spoke into the chaos and he said, let there be. And everything came into existence. How does the current chaotic state of the world come back into order? It's when the people of God begin to see, let there be peace. Let there be righteousness. Let there be repentance. Let there be everything the kingdom of heaven is. Let there be righteousness in government. Let there be, we use our mouth to bless that which we have authority over. And then we wait and see as that, those seeds begin to bear their fruit for which they were sent. So what is blessing? Blessing can mean a bunch of different things. We use the word very loosely in the English language. Scripturally, primarily the word bless means what we do with our mouth. But you can bless somebody with a gift. You can bless somebody with you know, something. We bless each other with presents around Christmas and birthdays and we bless you with finances. We give a charismatic or a Pentecostal blessing when you hand somebody some money when, when they're walking out the door. You know, so we can bless physically and actually give that's in one sense the meaning, but mostly the words in the Hebrew language to bless means to do something with our mouth. Because the blessings that come from our giving gifts to one another, they're temporal. They only last a little while. But the blessings that come from the mouth echo through generations. The word of our mouth has far more power to bring what we want it to than any gift could ever have. So what is blessed means to speak favorably or celebrate something. So when we bless the Lord, we're not making Him anything that He's not. We're acknowledging something that He already is. So when we speak favorably or we celebrate Him, it just means that we're saying this is what you are. And we're blessing that. We're coming into agreement with who you already are. But I'm going to use my mouth because in the earth, I want the earth to know. Remember, this is back to that, the angels singing around the throne in Isaiah 6. What were they singing? The earth is filled with His glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with His glory. But then there's another place where the prophet spoke, and he said, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. So to bring what's being already agreed upon in heaven 
into the earth means there's got to be some knowledge. How do you get knowledge? You've got to hear something. You've got to learn something. That's what our mouths do in the earth. When we magnify the Lord, when we praise Him, when we bless Him with the words of our mouth, literally the earth is hearing the truth about what heaven already agreed about. And now we see the kingdom come and the, the glory of God fill the earth. It means we're calling on God to bring about an expected end. When we speak a blessing, it means we've tuned into heaven's agenda about something. I mean, how many of you know we can't just go around and use our mouth to do whatever we want? The authority in our mouth, this is, this is something about spiritual authority. We don't have authority independent of the source of authority. We don't have power independent of the source of power. So our lips will directly bless, our lips will directly bring healing. But the power comes from the Lord to do that, right? Knowing what to speak, knowing how to use our mouth for a blessing comes from being in tune with heaven. You know what the ultimate prayer of agreement is? You know, Hebrews says that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us, right? So he's interceding forever. You know what the ultimate prayer of agreement is? To ask, hey Jesus, what are you praying about right now? What's on your mouth right now? Because I want to be a voice in the earth like that tuning fork I shared about last week. I want to be the voice in the earth for what's being spoken in heaven. I want to become something that actually brings it out into the atmosphere here in this heaven, in the heavens where I live, that's already been made true in the third heavens. So that's one meaning of blessing. Blessing means to consecrate something for heavenly purposes. When we bless something, like we bless our children when we do baby dedications, we're blessing them. We're saying, we are consecrating you. We are declaring over you. You were born for a divine purpose. When we bless something, it means to take heaven's agenda and impart it into something here in the earth. So we bless the plans and purposes of God in one another and in those that are coming up in our midst. It means to confer favor. If you look at, and we will in a couple of weeks, some of the blessings being spoken in the Scripture, Joseph is a fruitful vine. That was the word that came over Joseph, for example. And because Jacob spoke those words, the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, I mean, Joseph was so fruitful, it took two tribes to fill the space of one. He got the double portion blessing, but he also, they were enormous. They were the two biggest tribes in Israel. That was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And they needed two tribes because he got so fruitful. Why? Because the blessing from Jacob the father came and the favor of God was on all of their be fruitful and multiplying that they did from that day onward. So, so they were like a great big like Catholic family. You know, they, they just all kept having tons of kids and all that. And You don't know many Irish Catholics, do you? That was funny. That was funny, and nobody laughed. I was like, thank you, James. I was laughing my own jokes. Do you know Irish Catholics? They don't believe in contraception, so they have like 18 kids. Oh, yeah, man. That's... And also, blessing means to, to reveal. When we bless, we're revealing a prophetic destiny. How did Jacob know what to say over all of his sons when they appeared before him? He was in tune with heaven. And he spoke something out of heaven. And there was a prophetic destiny that came with the power to fulfill it. So like in the Garden of Eden, when God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, it was a commandment in one sense, but it was also a blessing. I'm giving you the ability to be fruitful and multiply. I'm not just telling you to do something. I'm not just revealing your destiny. Do you know that every word of God comes with the power to fulfill it? Just like every seed that goes into the ground, it has everything that it needs on the inside of it in the right atmosphere and environment to grow into what it was born for. That's what blessing is. It's like a seed that gets planted and it comes with the power to accomplish whatever it is. And so here's how it's put over Abram's life, right? Abraham, well, in his, all through his 90s, he's got this promise of God. God keeps telling him, oh, I know your, your womb is empty, your wife's womb is empty, and I know you're getting old in years, but I'm telling you, like the sands of the seashore and like the stars in the heaven, so your offspring are going to be. And, and he believed him. Abraham believed him. He hoped beyond hope. He said, all right, you said it, I believe it, that settles it. And God said, oh, that is righteousness. He was the model of the new covenant before the old covenant even existed. And that's, that's his thing. So it says this concerning Abraham's faith in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. He calls into being that which does not exist. God is able to say, I want this to come to pass. This is how it's going to be. 
And when he speaks, it is so. That is what our mouth is like. He calls into being the things that don't exist. We have got to be a people who can see beyond circumstance and into what heaven's agenda is on every subject of life. There is no area that's outside the reach of the voice of the Lord. Do you know, I was just reading this article because I'm a little geeky. I still love the sciences. And I was just reading about, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out where the edge of the universe is, right? Where the, that was one of the first questions that opened my heart to God. I was laying on the ground after I went out into the country. I think it was at my uncle's house out in, near Hartford, Connecticut, and some way off in the country town called Torrington. I was laying, I laid on my back the first night that it was clear out there, and I couldn't believe how many stars there were. That was the first time I knew there were more than five stars. That's about all you could see in New York City. And I was laying on my back, and I was out there thinking, I might have been eight years old or something like that. And I remember the thought occurred to me, I wonder what's on the other side of the stars. If you get all the way to the end of them, then what? And it was one of those meltdown, like, pff, meltdown moments for your brain. Can't fathom it. But I was looking at this, and they're still finding stars, whether it's because their light's so far away, and it didn't read, I don't know how that all works, but uh, it's all relative anyway. Outside the edge, there's still, they still say that there are still new, far, new stars being formed. Because God, thousands or years ago, or, or I don't want to step into that one. Long time ago, God said, let there be some lights in the sky. And there are still new stars being created. That's the power of his voice. He said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Now we have more than six billion of us on the earth. Today, it's just that powerful. So he calls into being that which does not exist. Hey, I moved that slide forward because you uh, didn't catch up with me. So can you get it to the um, Matthew one? I want to talk about what the crowd did there. When the crowds were greeting Jesus, all right? So they had messianic hopes and expectations. And if you read all the Gospels, all of Jerusalem, everybody who was coming to Jerusalem for this feast of the Passover, they were hearing rumors and stories about how Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead. They were hearing about his miracles. It wasn't his first time in Jerusalem. Jesus had already healed a blind man and made him wipe his eyes with mud and publicly in front of a whole, all the temple. Everybody in Jerusalem knew who Jesus was by now. Healed that guy by the pool of Bethesda. He did all of his miracles in Jerusalem. If you want to know all of Jesus' Jerusalem miracles, read the Gospel of John. They almost all happened inside the city of Jerusalem and every one of them by the way at a feast so the city would be packed with all the people celebrating the feast and so the crowds caught wind that Jesus was coming to town riding on a donkey you got to remember that we we don't I mean compared to how they knew their Bible back then we are biblically illiterate even most pastors are biblically illiterate compared to the average Jewish boy who is memorizing Psalms at four years old you know, whose rabbi would start off. Do you know the Psalm, all the Old Testament books are not numbered? There are no numbers, there are no headings. They don't even have, you know, this is Psalm 34. The name of the Psalm is the first line. The name of the book is the first line of the book. So Genesis isn't called that. It's called in the beginning. And so a rabbi would spout off a little bit of a verse and then the students were expected, keep going as long as you can. Keep sharing that scripture until you run out and you forget the next line. That's how they treated scripture in their day because they didn't have the word made flesh yet and they wanted to be ready for the Messiah. They wanted to recognize him when they came and that's why this week in Jerusalem was the most tragic week in all of the people of God's history. And they had some bad seasons, believe me. But this is when the Lord came. The Son of God himself came to inspect his people and they rejected him and crucified him. So, the crowds went out ahead of Jesus. Those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. They were using their mouth to bless the Lord. They were shouting, Hosanna, which means come and save. They had messianic hopes. They believed, many of them, probably this whole crowd, that didn't even wait for Jesus to come through the gate. They went out on the road leading into the city and followed him in. Hosanna to the Son of David. We embrace you. We welcome you. And what we understand, what they understood at that time, this is the one who's going to set us free from the Romans. They had political aspirations for their Messiah. They had no idea about the suffering servant. They weren't thinking about Isaiah 53 and many verses that we now look and go, how could you miss that? Well, they, their culture had a hope. And if we were under Roman rule, we'd probably fall into the same trap. I mean, can I blunt honest moment right here? When I consider how many believers I know fell off the rails with Christ because of political things going on in our country in the last couple of years, 
Like the only thing they ever want to talk about is, is the election that was stolen and COVID response and all that. It's like the only word coming out. Like, well, hold on a second. Yeah, there's problems with all that. I agree. But our Messiah didn't come to create the kingdom of the United States of America. The United States of America, I pray, will come back and be more of an active participant in the kingdom of heaven and the earth. But that's what our hope's about. It's not in another Messiah who occupies an Oval Office or a Kremlin or anywhere in the earth. Jesus already came and his body is alive and well in the earth and he still rules the nations with a rod of iron. That's just true. So let's not fall into the trap they did and have a political aspiration and put our hopes in that basket. Our hopes in that this gospel of the kingdom is going to the ends of the earth over and over and over again. You know, there was a saying and England was very proud of it, and I got a little bit of English in me, so careful how you respond to this one. <laughs> but there was a saying, it was a braggadocious statement that the sun never sets on the British Empire. And it was true. They had India for a colony, and all around the world there was a colony. The sun never sets on the British Empire. Well, I'm going to tell you that from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is greatly to be praised. And guess what? The sun's always up somewhere on the earth. It's always daytime somewhere, and there are people praising that name everywhere in the earth. The kingdom already has exceeded any kingdom that's ever gone before. Our kingdom is one that can't be shaken, it can't be moved, it can't be stopped. We gotta remember to take our mouth and not put it on a false hope of a different kind of Messiah, but keep our hope, hope in the Lord and what his kingdom's doing in the earth today. But this crowd shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Come and sit back on the throne. Drive out the Amalekites. Drive out the, uh, the Philistines. Drive out all the Moabites and every other kind of ite, the termites. Drive out all the ites again. And these Romanites, or, you know, whatever they are, let's drive them all out. That's what they thought. And they said on this day, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. On this day, the first day of the last week, they were shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They recognized, hey, we receive you for who you are, or what they thought he was. We receive you this way, and we are blessing you. We are saying our authority, each of us as kings of our own lives, we're saying we bless you and receive you this way. And we're opening the gates of the city to you. We're swinging wide the ancient gates so the king of glory might come in, which is exactly right. If they'd have just hung right here for the week, it would have been a whole different experience for Israel. I don't believe that they had to go through. I should say we. I'm, half, I'm more Jew than English. I don't believe that we had to experience the destruction that was coming within the generation because of the rejection of the Son of God when he came to Jerusalem. That didn't have to be the way that they would go. Oh, I know all about, there was some prophecies to be fulfilled, but there's always this tension and dynamic between this is what God said is gonna happen, but we still make a choice about it. And they, he came to his own and his own received him not. And the Jews, we Jews have been paying a price ever since. It's not the end of the story, but that's how it's been. So, they said, Hosanna in the highest. They said, blessed is he. We open our gates to you. But then some things turned over the course of the week. Man, what a seven days it was. It was six days. What a, what a week it was. You know what Jesus did first? All right, so here's the Messiah, right? He's coming. He's here to go to the Antonia Fortress and tell, give them their, your days are numbered. That's where the Romans were housed in Jerusalem. Your days are numbered. I'm going to go to that wall and tell you right now, wait, you just wait till the zealots get a hold of you. You wait till my people get a hold of you, and you're going to be out of here before you know it. He didn't go to Antonia Fortress. He went to the temple. Do you remember what he did there? See, because they're thinking it's going to be like the old covenant all over again. We're going to have David on the throne. Maybe we'll have an Aaronic priest. Do you know the priests in the days of Jesus were not necessarily, I don't think any, were in decades descendants of Aaron the high priest like the law of Moses required. They were appointed by the, by the politicians. They were appointed by governors and by 
you know, uh, Herods and so on. There, it was a political appointment. Maybe they were thinking, hey, Messiah's coming. He's going to set it right, and we'll have Aaron back making sacrifices for us, and we're going to have the presence of God. We're going to have the glory of God in that temple that Herod done built for us, like in the days of Solomon where the priest couldn't even stand. It was so full of the glory. These are the days when the glory of the latter house will exceed the former, and that's what all their thoughts were about. Now, where does he go first? He didn't go shaking his fists at those Roman soldiers that were eyeing him, like, what's this all about? Who are these crowds? What are they about to do? You know that there were Roman soldiers surrounding these crowds. I hope, I hope the, I'm sure that they're going to get it right when they get to season seven of The Chosen. I'm positive they are. But that's what, it, no, he went to the temple. He walked around for a little bit, and I forget which gospel records this detail, but he starts making a whip. He's walking around looking at the money changers, cheating the people of God, the pilgrims who came to Jerusalem to buy their sacrifices, buy their Passover lamb, buy their sacrifices to make of the temple, and using unjust scales. Do you know the money changers were all of the tribe of Levi? That wasn't like you could set up, a, like buy a permit and you know, get a stand. Those were the Levites doing that. If you were working in the temple, you were of the tribe of Levi. These were God's chosen ones to minister to the people, now robbing from the people of God. And Jesus saw that, and you know what he did. He turned that place upside down. He created chaos. Start, man, his lambs running all over the place, and his things flying, and feathers, and people screaming, and money all over the ground. He just started a riot in that place, and that was kind of a foreshadow. It's like, this is not going to be what you expected. I didn't come here to bless what you're doing. And I didn't come here to drive out the Romans. I came to drive something out of this temple that never should have been here because this is supposed to be a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves. And you know what the law says about thieves, right? I'm not going to go there. So what they were singing and quoting that day, it was, it was a messianic psalm, Psalm 118. It says, this is the gate of the Lord and the righteous will enter through it. Remember, when they said Hosanna to the son of David, when they, when they were shouting that, these are people who had these kind of psalms memorized. And all the ones that they would have really prioritized in that day would have been psalms of the Messiah, psalms of the Savior, psalms that one day God's going to set us free from the yoke that we're under right now. Those were the psalms at the front of their minds. And actually, they sang during this week, Psalms 113 through 118. They were the psalms, uh, I just lost the name of them. But they're grouped together. They're all songs of praise, the halal psalms. They're all psalms of praise. And this was the last one. And uh, man, I'd love to know this for sure. Scriptures don't say it, so don't, don't write it down like in your notes. But if I were Jesus and the way Jesus and the timing of God always worked, I bet this was the day they were singing that psalm in the temple. And, and here comes Jesus fulfilling it. So they're, sing, they're saying Hosanna to the son of David, but here's a psalm that's going through everybody's minds, including the priests, including the Pharisees and the council, including everybody who knew the word of God. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I would give thanks to you if you've answered me and you have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now, did they even, I don't know that, you know, sometimes you get caught up in something and you're not really thinking about it. I mean, don't judge the Jews of the first century. How many times have you sung a worship song and you're not even paying attention to the words? <laughs> don't look at me. We all do. I do it too sometimes. And then I'm like, wait, what did I just say? Does my heart agree with that? Because I'm not thinking or living that way right now. I think I need to step up a notch. They missed this part, the stone which the builders rejected. This is in the middle of a messianic psalm. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Go ahead, verse 23. The Lord's doing is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So we always just say that's every day. And then, and then every day is a good day to be glad in the Lord, right? This is the day the Lord has made. Every day is a day the Lord has made. But this day was prophesied about. This is the day that the Lord has made. Messiah has come. Earth's never going to be the same. So let's rejoice in it. Let's be glad in it. Lord, do save, we beseech you. There's Hosanna. Hosanna. Do save, we beseech you, Lord. We beseech you, send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Jews coming out from the temple, meeting, Jer 
Jesus out there on the street, we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. That's what they're singing. The Lord's good, he's given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Bind that sacrifice to the horns of the altar. In other words, at the end of all this celebrating of the Savior, it was already prophesied that this Hosanna, come and save us, was not going to be the kind of Savior they were looking for from the zealots and from the, all the heroes of the day. That this was going to be one who was going to be sacrificed. He is going to be tied to the horns of the altar and sacrificed. That's what they were singing to. So gates of a city represent the seat of authority. Whatever gets discerned and then decreed from the gate determines what's going to be permitted or forbidden within the walls. That's the meaning of gates in the Scriptures. So the church, by the way, you know, it says whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. That's us at the gate of whatever region we're responsible for as elders at the gate. In ancient times, in the biblical days, elders who sat at a gate could tell you, you're not allowed to come into this city. We don't like the looks of you. They would interrogate you if you were from out of town. What are you here for? What's your business? You know, what, what's your agenda? while you're among us and they could say the elders could agree at the gate nope not letting that in the city so if you came selling the snake oil or whatever the elders at the gate would greet you there and say yeah not here you're gonna have to move on somewhere else we don't want your type in this town that's the kind of authority of the gate we'll let you in or no we're not going to let you in that's the authority of the kingdom of heaven that's the authority of the gates that begins first with the house of the lord but it also extends out there. The word church is not a religious term. It's a governmental term. That's another teaching for another day. So using our mouth to bless the Lord within the gates of a city, at the gates of a city, opens the gates of the city for the King of glory to enter in. And the people of Israel did it that day, but they had their hopes set on a different kind of Messiah. And when Jesus showed up in a form that they weren't looking for, I mean, it gets harrowing from there. Most of the rest of Matthew 22 to 26 is words in red. It's Jesus. I mean, there's a whole chapter of Jesus telling off the Pharisees right in front of the temple. He told off the Sanhedrin with the seven woes. You read it sometime, I and mean, that's where he, he started using terms like brood of vipers, and he was just really going after them. Because he could see all week long, they kept testing him. He came to examine them, but instead they were examining him. Which was beautiful because they spent the week examining the Passover sacrifice. He was found to be without fault, and so he could be the Christ, our Passover sacrifice for us. We opened the gates for the King of Glory to come in. So Jesus said to them, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets, stones those who were sent to her. How often I've wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. That's what Jesus spent the entire week trying to do. I'm trying to gather you back to the Lord. I didn't come to set you free from, from the, uh, the Herods and from the Caesars. I came to set you free from yourselves. Because you've made the house of the Lord into a pagan temple now. You've made this to be like a demonic, a host of demonic influence. And I've come to save you from yourselves. Save you from the demonic spirits that you've allowed to become entrenched in the very house of the Lord itself. And then he said, behold, your house is being left to you desolate. He said that at the temple. For I say to you from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So what we've got to be careful about in our lives, how many of you have experienced this? We, we start out on a good leaning forward posture of blessing the Lord, thanking the Lord, remembering who He is. He's larger than life. We're excited about what happens ahead. And then something happens that's just not quite what we expected. Something happens maybe that's the opposite of what we're praying or what was prophesied over us. The, we call it enduring the contradiction. This is what God said, but the opposite's going on right now. It's a contradiction. I don't understand what's going on. So we have two options. Jesus didn't show up the way we expected him to. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We could be like Job. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't understand it, but I'm not going to stop blessing him. I'm not going to stop letting my lips declare the truth about who he is. Or the other option is that we could begin to complain. Use our mouth for grumbling. Use our mouth for other causes and reject 
Jesus himself when he shows up. Hey, can I have the, can the worship team help me out up here? I want to sing that Graves in the Garden song in a minute, and I'm, I'm going to need some help with that. So when Jesus comes in a manner we did not expect, whatever spills out of our mouth reflects what we believe in our heart about him. That's you, Jaden. What we believe in our heart. When Jesus comes in a way we didn't expect. So he shows up in certain ways. You know, there, there are times that he answers immediately exactly what we thought he was going to do. For my life, personally, that's been about one in a hundred times. Most of the time, I have an expectation. I know that God's going to fulfill his word, but I have an expectation about how he's going to do it and in what time he's going to do it and what he's going to do to get me there with no problems along the way. And those are the expectations that we put on it. When he doesn't show up that way, we are at risk of being like the people of Jerusalem. Oh, you didn't show up how I was expecting you. Maybe you're not who I thought you were. And my lips stopped praising you and blessing you. Learning to bless the Lord at all times is the key for the kingdom to come and remain in the earth. We've got to come to this place. So would you stand to your feet for a minute? Because there there's some truths that are in heavenly places. There are some things that we need to understand that our God is still the one who in the middle of a season of mourning is able to turn us to dancing. If you're in a season of mourning right now, you can start whenever you want with the, the song because we, we got to go into this. We need to use our lips to bless the Lord. You're in a season of mourning right now. Some of you are. Some of you have lost something you love and you're in a season of grieving would be another way of saying that. You're, you're in a season of mourning. You lost something that's really important to you. I want to tell you right now that weeping endures for the night, but that joy's got to come in the morning. You can't rush your way through the valley of sorrows, but don't set up camp in that place. Don't allow your heart to get so used to being downcast, so used to being sorry and mourning and weeping that you forget to look to the God of all hope who has something on the other side for you. He's able to turn mourning into dancing. He's able to take something and make beauty out of ashes. How many of you have experienced this? Sometimes you think, I'm building this thing and it's beautiful and it's awesome and yeah, maybe it's not right yet. So God, come and help me renovate this thing. And he says, now we're going to take a torch to it and all of a sudden, that thing that you were working on and building toward, maybe for years, all of a sudden it's gone nothing but ashes. I've walked with a lot of people who've come to that place and cursed the Lord instead of blessing Him. And by curse the Lord, I don't mean you're actually calling Him names. I mean you're refusing to use our mouth to say, blessed is the name of the Lord. Maybe those ashes right there are the thing that He's going to build from. Maybe that was irredeemable as it was. He's going to build something beautiful out of the ashes of that ruined thing. Maybe you're in a situation right now where you come to the edge of the wilderness and there's a sea in front of you. And behind you is all the enemy's forces chasing you down, saying, aha, I finally got you. I'm taking you right back to where you came from. That addiction came back on you again. That thing you got set free from, that demonic influence that you got free from, the depression that you got free from. And in front of you, you can't, you feel like you came to a, a like a blockage. You can't move forward anymore. There's something like a sea in front of you, and behind you, there's the enemy taunting you and threatening you. And he's coming after you to say, I'm gonna take you right back where you were before. No, you're not. We're gonna bless the Lord and say, you're the God who makes a way where there seems to be no way. You're the God who can make that sea and part it so it's like a highway. Now it's a highway of holiness. He can do that. Use our mouth to bless the Lord. That's what he does. He comes to the most dead looking place. We're gonna look at this next week. And when Jesus was laid in a tomb, it was dead, it was hopeless. Almost all of his disciples had lost hope at that point. That which we had hoped in, we saw it crucified, we saw it buried in a grave. But there's Jesus, while he's dead in the tomb, conquering the grave, coming out on the other side. And one of his best friends thought he was a gardener, it was so beautiful. That garden that he came up out of the grave, that thing that you think is so dead, that thing that you think it's gone, it's hopeless, it's, it's done with, he's the God who turns that into a garden, something beautiful, beautiful that can't be described. 
that's just how he is. Maybe you were all geared up in your spiritual warfare. You fought the good fight of faith. You prayed. You fasted and prayed. You gathered your friends who fasted and prayed with you. And you had a battle against something, and that thing that you needed to happen didn't happen, and you lost everything. You lost the battle. You fell. You lost the business. You lost the hope. You lost whatever it was you were contending with, and you're like that valley that Ezekiel looked at in that vision. It's dry bones. It is so dead and gone. It's not just dead and gone. The bones are separated from each other. They are dried out. There's nothing to work with here. There's not even a little bit of hope left in that. You need to hear the word of the Lord saying, Son of man, daughter of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? Yeah, they can. Why? Because he turns bones into armies. He's able to pick you back up where that defeat came from and say, let's go at it again. Let me do it with you this time and watch what's going to happen. It's going to be different this time. All of these things God is more than able to do. But he requires our partnership. So this time when we sing this song, I want to really encourage you to make it like a blessing. To begin to think of whatever the situation is in your life. And declare it now with the words of this song. Bless the Lord so that he'll manifest himself in that kind of a way. We do that together? Let's do it and sing it together. May every one of your spirits believe that with all your heart. May the praise of God be on your lips with every word that spills out of your mouth. May the praises of God be on them. May the blessing of the Lord be on you. May the blessing of the Lord spill out of your mouth into every place of influence that you have. May your family's experience of the authority that Christ in you has to offer and see the turnaround you've been waiting for and see the blessing of the Lord that you've been waiting on him for. May the blessing of the Lord so be on your lips that the atmosphere of your workplace begins to feel like heaven just filled that room. May every word that comes to your heart and every word that fills your mind and therefore floods out of your mouth bring life and that more abundantly. Turnarounds coming in Jesus' name. May the word of your mouth prophesy that which is not yet as though it already existed with all the confidence of the one who's sharing a testimony of things that have already happened. May the word of the Lord dwell in you so richly that your mouth will have no problem speaking it under every circumstance you face this week. Amen. Oh, love you guys. I'll see you this weekend.